0: Welcome to the Spotlight Podcast from PEI. I'm Toby Mitchell, Senior Editor for ESG and Sustainability, and editor of the newly launched title New Private Markets, which explores sustainable and impact investing in private equity, private real estate, private infrastructure and private debt. Check it out at newprivatemarkets.com. Today I'm joined by senior journalists from the PEI stable, including Graham Bippert, Editor of Private Fund CFO. Bruno Alves, Senior Editor for Infrastructure, and Adam Lay, Senior Editor for Private Equity. I've just come from a virtual conference where one of the big players in the private funds management universe described ESG-linked financing as the next big step for the market. So Today, we're going to zero in on ESG-linked subscription credit lines, so finance at the fund level for which the cost is linked in some way to the sustainability performance of the assets in the fund. Now... So far, it's fair to say we've seen, I guess, a handful of these, a small handful. The first I think we spotted as a group was healthcare-focused firm Quadria Capital, and they arranged one back in late 2019. We've since then seen some big names in private funds follow suit and at scale as well. So the likes of EQT, Eurasio, KKR. Graham, I'm, I'm going to come to you first because these aren't all created equal, right? They're, they're not all structured in the same way so far.
1: Yeah, there's, uh, there's generally speaking two sort of categories of ESG linked subscription credit facility or credit line. The first is sort of modeled after a sustainability-linked loan, and those are sort of general corporate purpose loans that the interest rate is essentially linked to either a customized set of KPIs or ESG ratings of some kind. Those can usually be taken out either at the fund level or the corporate level. And there have been a few of those at the corporate level where a firm will take out an SLL style loan and be able to draw on it at the firm level, but also potentially downstream so the to funds as well. The other kind of structure is the use of proceeds structure. And as far as I know, there have only been two of those. One taken out by an unnamed uh, fund that was a uh, standard charter was landed on. Uh, that bank was also the lender on KKR's use of proceeds, ESG-linked facility for its global impact fund. And those, the funds drawn from the line have to be used for investments that meet a certain criteria. Those are kind of the two general types of structuring.
0: For me, this seems like something that's been coming for a long time. and it's It's people putting their money where their mouth is, which again is what everyone who's observing the kind of ESG trend has been wanting to happen for a long time. So it's becomes less about talk and more about actually this is in some way going to cost or be a benefit financially. So I guess the question is then what's not to like, Bruno, do you want to pick that up?
2: So I think following up on that point of putting your money where your mouth is, I think from my point of view. When I hear about these ESG linked sublines, I think, is this the best place to create a financial incentive to push ESG? And so when we were you know, looking into it, I know these uh, credit lines are tolerated at the LP level, even though if you look at our perspective survey, around 42% had some concerns around them. But yes, if you're thinking of incentivizing, I thought, okay, is this the best place to, to do it in? And when I'm looking at infrastructure in particular, I thought, well, why wouldn't you place these kinds of incentives, for example, on your senior debt package, where any movement in the amount of uh, in the margins and the amount of money you paid would help sharpen your minds because it would be very significant. Or for example, infrastructure is very dependent on long term loans. So what if, for example, if you were not hitting your targets, you would have to refinance your loans early on? I recognize that this creates some impact. I just question whether it's the most efficient way to sharpen mines, really.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think you wrote about this, Bruno. I would say it is more of a, another tool and kind of an overall package that you can use to, as you say, sharpen mines. These are essentially bridge facilities, equity bridge facilities, that sort of get you between Making an investment and capital call, whereas a loan, you know, sort has obviously a, quite a different purpose. These are only three years usually around, and, you know, obviously term loans could come in seven to 10 years or more. So, yeah, they have slightly different purposes.
2: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I would totally agree. The other thing I found funny when we spoke about these things a few years ago, subscription credit lines, the, the tone was very much very humdrum, nothing to see here, et cetera. And so I also found it funny that these things, instruments that were presented as relatively inconsequential are now being at the front line of us doing good or whatnot. So I I find that change interesting also.
3: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I was just looking back at privateequityinternational.com and, and infrastructureinvestor.com and on private fund CFOs. And it was, I think, back in 2017 that we did a kind of cross asset class and cross publication, deep dive into the subline evolution and how different firms have been using them and the different types of products available. So, you know, if readers are interested, they should check out certainly our, our coverage there. Bruno, you wrote a really interesting piece and Graham, you just referred to it. I think you ended it actually with the fact that that ESG-linked credit lines can do good, but are they really the sharpest tools in the shed? And I mean, it's interesting, you use the word LPs tolerating these facilities. I think that's such an interesting kind of word to use because, you know, some of the LPs that we speak to, some of our LP sources, you know, are not the hugest fans of these facilities. There was one anecdote that, that someone said to us that an LP was talking about a GP using a credit facility and just said, well, Why doesn't the GP just borrow the money from me? You know, why don't they just actually draw down the capital? So there are certainly different views out there. One thing that I've found interesting kind of thinking about ESG-linked credit lines over the past kind of six months, I guess, or so, is the fact that, I mean, at the end of the day, is still the LP or the fund, so, you know, in effect, the, the LP who is paying for the credit line. So... Correct me if I'm wrong, everyone, but if the fund kind of meets its ESG targets, then you know the cost of that facility goes down. So the fund slash the LPs pay less for that facility. If the fund doesn't meet its ESG targets, then the cost is X. But the fund slash the LPs still are footing the bill for this subscription credit line facility. So, I mean, in a world where LPs tolerate um, or don't mind footing the bill for these facilities, that maybe a credit line can be a force for good. But is it better to have an ESG-linked credit line or not? I guess most people would say yes, but at the end of the day, the LP is still paying for it.
0: Yeah. I was just going to just pick up on, again, a point that Bruno made earlier is that throughout the sort of what you might call the debate era around subscription credit facilities, where the conversation was much more about should they be used and are they just a kind of very functional tool that it would be stupid not to use, or is there anything more kind of sinister about the way they enhance returns or otherwise? They were always presented as being something for which the cost was actually, in relation to the size of the fund and the returns and other costs, the costs were pretty inconsequential. So if those are the things that are being dialed up or dialed down, depending on the ESG performance, then you have to struggle to say that that's going to be consequential in itself. However, I don't want us to just pour uh,
3: cold water over something that is potentially a good thing. Yeah, I I mean, I agree, Toby, at the end of the day, if firms are using this, and these are linked to environmental, to to social, to, to governance issues, and it encourages them to focus more on making improvements at the portfolio company level, ultimately, One could argue it's going to be better for performance, it's going to be better for the fund's performance, it's going to be better, in theory, for the returns for the LPs.
2: The thing I would also add is, playing devil's advocate, it's true that maybe the impact on returns and and costs is relatively inconsequential, but were you to fail against one of these ESG sublines, i.e. you're not meeting targets, there's probably considerable reputational damage that you would incur from it, even if Financially speaking, you're just talking about a few basis points here or there. You know, nowadays, that's very non-negligible, I'd say.
0: So so I've not seen on any of these announcements anyone publicly quantifying the amount by which the cost varies depending on performance. Has, has anyone seen someone go into that level of detail in their public communication? Because that's it's important in terms of again how consequential these how meaningful these
1: things are. The discounts and like penalties, if there are any, aren't disclosed usually. Very little about these lines is disclosed at all, including like often what the targets are and you know, what the metrics being used are, which is another source of Criticism from some people. It's not even clear, for example, how much of this stuff is, is reported to LPs or whether they just see a discount, see a penalty, or whether you know the, the line has been pulled because targets weren't met, etc. These are still young; it probably hasn't happened yet. But I've been told that the lines can have discounts of anywhere like between 10 and 20 percent of a market margin. But I don't think that that's probably universal. And it really depends on who you ask. Some people think that the the discounts provided are, you know, one one person said just they're not substantial at at all. And uh, several people said that significant enough to, as Bruno said, sharpen minds. There will probably be more evolution to come on this. You know, I mean, these are theoretically, these are great tools for banks to use to solidify relationships with managers. And they're certainly good tools for managers to increase their ESG profiles with investors, so we're almost certain to see more of them. And I think that, given that the structures have varied so far, probably discounts, and penalties have varied. You know, use of proceeds has generally varies. I think there will probably be a lot more change and probably innovation to come on the topic.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd say that there seems to be plenty of potential for this to become a kind of recurring one of the tools in the toolbox in terms of focusing on ESG. But it feels to me like without detail and, and a lot of transparency and a lot of standardization or recognizable terms, then there's a, a risk that these also become part of the kind of window dressing. So it's, oh yeah, we've got an ESG-Link line tick. It just doesn't look like any other ones that, that you might've seen before, and you're not going to find out what's in there either. So yeah, transparency seems like a an important part of this.
2: You're totally right. Publicly, when it comes to disclosures, I, I haven't really seen the detail or even a link to the detail somewhere even if it wasn't necessarily in a press release but i was just going to ask if, you know if you guys had come across you know the detailed terms that the lenders would use to evaluate progress or has anyone caught sight of any of those documents? I personally haven't.
1: Um, there are two instances I can think of where there was a little bit more detail on the underlying. One is for one of EQT Partners' lines. They had a set of KPIs for instituting ESG-related governance at EQT and funds, I believe, and that had to be met in order to achieve the discount, regardless of what sustainability or social KPIs were met. But then there, below that, there were also you know E and S. KPIs, including, I think, improving like the female board representation at portfolio companies, I believe, to 40% and the use of renewable energy to 85%. I think there was a little bit more detail than that in there. And the other one is the Carlyle Group's social linked line. The, the line is linked to the funds that draw from it which is all their U.S. buyout funds are eligible for for use of the line. Their portfolio companies becoming, having rather diverse directors on the boards. And I think the target is 30% diverse directors. And that one's pretty straightforward, right? Because that's an easy metric to communicate and to measure. It's just 30% of board directors on all boards of portfolio companies should be diverse. And those are the only two I've really seen any level of really granular detail that is.
3: I can't say I've come across any either, but from our early interactions actually with with LPs and what we've written in the past, I think it's pretty clear that the key is, as you were saying, transparency, Toby, and in terms of LPs, you know, be it an ESG-linked line or not, really understanding in which cases the the GP can use the subscription credit line and the size of it and the terms.
0: Okay. Well, I think we're all agreed that we're probably going to see more of these. And we're also all agreed that there isn't yet a kind of standard way of doing it and possibly that will emerge. I'm going to ask each of you in to give a one-word answer. Do you like these or do you not like them?
3: Adam? If it's a one-word answer, yes. Yeah, Bruno? Meh. Graham? <laughs> uh, three words the jury's out of.
0: Great spread of answers. Well, look, thank you very much for all of your time and I look forward to talking more about these in the future. That again was Graham Bippert, Editor of Private Funds CFO, Bruno Alves, Senior Editor for Infrastructure, and Adam Lay, Senior Editor for Private Equity, and me, Toby Michnell with New Private Markets. If you want to hear more, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or at PEI's various titles online. And be sure to check out our newly launched title at newprivatemarkets.com. Thanks for listening.